Please listen carefully. G'day. You're listening to City Speak with Greg Van and Stephen Yarwood, a podcast about cities by people who love cities and want you to love your city too. Thanks, Greg. You've asked me to introduce uh, one of your really good friends, which I'm incredibly flattered uh, that you you would, because I know you're a huge fan, and uh, and certainly I am as well. Um, so I'm going to say it's a privilege to be interviewing um, one of the great public speakers of the planning profession, as well as uh, an innovator and someone who's made a huge contribution, uh, not only in America but uh, also around the world. And uh, and I'd like to welcome Mitch Silver. Thank you so much. It's a pleasure to be here. But Greg, I'd like you to also tell me your your context of why you think uh, Mitch oh, is a really special person to you. Yeah, no, I think Mitch is, um, embodies um, planning. He, he walks and talks and lives it. Um, but he also has that gift of explaining it in a in a simple and seductive way that really inspires people. And so I think that's what, you know, I mean, he's a tremendous human being and that's a nice part of uh, the friendship. But uh, he, the contribution he makes and continues to make is around those foundational values. What I'd like to do today is let's do the backstory a bit and sort of find out what, what has led you to this role and, um, you know, ha- how you came to be involved in planning. And I know you grew up in, in New York and... Uh, you know, perhaps not the the traditional, um, you know, kind of experience I had as a kid growing up. Um, so would you like to share a bit of that, Mitch? Sure, and thank you so much. Uh, this story probably can get emotional, but I will stick to the facts and, and the journey. I grew up in New York City, uh, in Brooklyn in particular, a very dense city. And for a young, at a very young age, I was fascinated by maps, by cities. I would sketch buildings, and it was something that I was just drawn to. And then I lived just a few blocks away from Prospect Park and was fascinated by nature. Living in an urban setting, you know, I didn't know where this green space came from and it was planned. And so at an early age, I knew I wanted to prove something that dealt with the built environment. I think what really was a pivotal point is I always ask a question in an interview to really get to know someone. And my question is, what life experience made you the person you are today that's not on your resume? People often pause, and sometimes the answer that I hear is so profound, the interview panel could be in tears. What made me the person I am today is that, sadly, my mother died when I was a child. She died of cancer. I was 12 years old. And it was a troubling life growing up without my mother. Ended up dropping out of high school in the second year. In fact, I remember the day vividly, my father uh, turned to me and said, you SOB, you had to drop out on Pearl Harbor Day, and my father was a World War II veteran. And I knew at that point I broke my father's heart. To make a long story short, uh, I I had to get my general equivalency diploma, which is a test you take, it's not the same, and I attempted to go to college. The first college I went to basically laughed at me and said, you're not college material. And as I'm leaving from that interview, a gentleman pulled me over. I must have looked really bad and said, what's going on? And I said, look, I just blew my interview. I have to go and tell my father and disappoint him once again. And so he said that we have the scholarship. Why don't you apply? I ended up getting the scholarship. It was for the School of Architecture. And I ended up going to that school. And then at the end, I became the salutatorian. Here from dropout <laughs> to not even wanting to, to, not even being accepted to now being the salutatorian where I'm now giving the commencement speech for the students. And I remember <laughs> as I'm speaking, uh, my father came running on the stage before I even finished and gave me a hug. Um, and 
it was f- complete. And, and during that time, um, I remembered my mother made a tape on her deathbed for all of the children saying that you have to go to college, you have to make your life worth something. And those two motivating factors is what drove me to be the person I am today. I did not want to disappoint my father, and I wanted to continue my mother's legacy. I believe in second chances, and for me, it gave me the determination that I have to do something with my life. In a school of architecture, I got turned off from a professor who said my design is ruined the minute my client steps in. And I really was taken aback by that comment. And I found this course about planning, and I got so excited, because like, you can literally be a doctor of cities. It's not just a building, but to look at communities. And there was no turning back. And I decided to go all in. Uh, once I understood this profession of being a doctor, a healer of cities, to me, it was a profession I knew that was right for me. But I wanted to talk about those life experiences because it shows you where the passion, the commitment of being driven to help places or communities that may be struggling. And so I just decided to pursue planning. And you know, here I am, uh, 38 years later, still happy in the profession. Ed, thanks for sharing that story. I, I think I knew most of it, but it's a wonderful story and it just shows how in our profession different paths lead us t- to into this world. But I think also that from what I know of you, the other driving ambition is to make a difference, to make a difference in the people, to, for the people in our profession and for the communities we serve. Yeah, I didn't just want to focus on place, but focus on people. And uh, that has been, I think, the hallmark of my career, the center of my career, is that it's not just about place. Yes, place is important, but there are people. When I look at policies, I have to peel the layers to understand how will this impact people. So I'm very thankful God gave me this gift to communicate, but also I want people when I go in a public meeting to look at me and say, he's real, he's authentic, this is coming from the heart. These are coming through real life experiences, and these are not just ideas or words. And to me, I think that makes the difference. I always tell young planners that if you do not come in there with your authentic self, the public will lead right through you. Stand in the office and make maps. When you engage the public, this is real serious work, and you have to come in with that heart, that passion, that caring, that compassion, that empathy to help this community move itself forward. Uh, Mitch, you've said lots of moving things. One thing that really inspired me is just that quote that when I uh, speak to young planners, and I think that's something that I've made a a lifelong career of uh, engaging and inspiring and and working with and supporting young planners. And uh, so I just think that's that's a really special part. You've also mentioned some life experiences so I'm going to sort of progress to uh, finding out a little bit more about some of your professional career uh, and and your life experiences. Um, I'm sure we'll talk about New York uh, and you've been the the president of the American President Association uh, but um, sort of in in a bit of a sort of in a nutshell um, how, how did you get from from that fantastic graduation story to here? Well, I excelled in college. Uh, while I struggled in high school, when I got to college and got very serious, I became a very good student. I had several internships, and when I graduated, there were two offices fighting to have me work for them. And when I got in those offices, I was different. I was a rule breaker. I wanted to be committed, and so uh, very quickly I was named the top employee in New York City planning of the year. And uh, within three years, I was recruited uh, by the Manhattan Borough President. Basically, they did all the planning for New York. And I, I guess it was like a Forrest Gump experience. I seemed to be in the right place at the right time on 
and very key projects. And then I got active in our American, the American Playing Association at the chapter level, got to share my innovative ideas because I was somewhat frustrated just looking at site plans. And I found my purpose communicating some of the ideas through the chapter, through the association, I couldn't do it my work. And then because I had a background in public speaking and acting, my wife said, you, you need to combine your communication skills on how you present, because at the time we were still using Lucy's and slides, and these were horrible presenters of planets and choose to laugh. And I started really uh, setting myself apart by both the way I presented and the ideas I had. Then I got promoted uh, to be a director, uh, and then um, I went to Washington, D.C. to be deputy planning director. Director, but I really wanted to be a director. And I kept coming in second place, job after job after job. And then finally, Raleigh gave me the chance to be their playing director in 2005. And I had so much pent up energy and ideas, they handed me over uh, basically the keys of the city to help make us a great city. And I think that's where I really started to show the years of hard work, the years of ideas, and really helped Raleigh become a 21st century city. Time Magazine wrote about me and the work I was doing. At the time, I got elected to the American Playing Association. And people started to see the work we're doing, the messages, the heart. And then New York City said, you got to come back as parks commissioner. I was a little bit leery because uh, I worked with parks, but not in parks. And so I just brought my planning knowledge to the parks commissioner position. And the mayor was pleased it was the right thing to do. He did not want an administrator. He wanted a visionary. And so it was a perfect marriage coming back to New York and 850 capital projects new initiatives that have not been done before, and New York and all the visitors get to benefit from that. So that's a five-minute version of my life story in the career and a profession. There's a few things in that that I could never say about myself. I'm pretty sure Time Magazine hasn't written about me, but uh, the, um, the one thing I would like to go into a bit more depth, because some of the things you did while you were in the role of Parks Commissioner, some of those programs are, are truly inspirational, and, and I'd love you to tell us a little bit more about about particularly you know, the 200 parks that you and the story about the the guy that you know so you know the okay <laughs> you're going to hear that one later because it's an emotional story so when the mayor brought me on um he was very concerned about a tale of two cities about equity and so uh i was not a parks expert but i knew i had to be a planning expert and so equity became really our focus and equity is about fairness and we looked at all of our parks and I had to determine how many parks didn't receive any investment over 20 years. We found out there were 200, which I, we felt that was not fair. How could you improve this park and that park and leave these other parks unimproved? And they were in all the neighborhoods you would suspect that are underserved, underprivileged. So we went on a program called Community Parks Initiative and truly transformed uh, 67 of those 215 parks and the stories are absolutely amazing. I think the one Greg is mentioning is there was one park in particular that we just changed it from an asphalt just look like a car park uh, into this dynamic public space, running track, synthetic turf, play equipment. And a little boy, uh, about uh, eight years old, would not come into the park opening day. And one of my staff members went to him and asked him, why won't you come into the park? And a little boy said something so profound. It was like a dagger to your heart. He said he didn't want to go into the park because he didn't know how much it cost. It was so nice. And he saw nothing like that in his neighborhood. He thought he had to pay. And I remember the joy in his face when I told him it's free. Uh, I know that I changed his life and all the children in that neighborhood. And that's what equity means, is looking at those that have been neglected. And now in those neighborhoods, we've renovated these parks. Crime went 
down and the public now become stewards of those public spaces. Parks without borders. I was very disturbed by all the perimeters and tall seven foot spiked fences around all of our public spaces. And I felt we had to better integrate the parks to the sidewalks of the street. And so we created a program called Parks Without Borders where we lowered the fences or removed fences. We integrated the sidewalk into the street and the park. It made it safer as well because now you can see into the park. You don't have these barriers. It made it more accessible. That program we transformed well over 100 parks in New York City by just that new intervention. So those are just some examples of what we're able to do. There are others, uh, but to me, I always led with the culture of care and understanding the importance of parks, social gathering places, the first line of defense against climate change, not just for physical health, but for mental well-being, and made sure from a planning framework that I used those skills to really elevate New York City parks. The story, isn't it? It is quite the story. You know, I, and I, I, I get the emotion just listening. You know, it's a, it's a wonderful... You know, to have that much impact on so many people's lives in a positive way, you know, is, is truly fulfilling, isn't it? It is, and like I said, you don't look for the attention you don't look for the acknowledgement you just know it's the right thing to do i'll never forget there was another man in staten island uh we were coming there with four million dollars to improve a park again one of these parks hadn't been invested in about 20 30 years and i remember he approached me he was a big black man looked like he was a football player and he said to me uh you know what are you doing here and I says, we're here to have a community visioning session to re-envision this park. He said, I lived here all my life. I don't let my children play there. And he looked at me and almost in tears, he says, what are you doing here? And he said, I thought nobody cared. People have been here before. And he says, please tell me you're serious. And I was. And that park opened. And the joy uh, of that community to now have, it had a, uh, a field. It had a pool. It was an amazing four-acre park. And to know that you can have that impact uh, by recognizing the importance. And New York City is a very dense city, so parks are your front yard, their backyard, they're your social gathering places, your outdoor living room. And to know that you can now finally renovate it where people have a sense of pride and they're like saying, that's for us, uh, to me is just something so rewarding that I became addictive. And I, it was hard to leave that job, but I know that during that period, Community Parks Initiative is now part of the Parks Department's you know, psychology and ideology. Parks Out Borders is now a design approach for all projects. And so you know that you can go on, that that legacy will continue to really think differently about parks in the 21st century. Now, I can imagine it would have been hard to leave the job. It's also going to be hard to leave the topic. But I am dying to ask you some questions about your time as the president of the American Planning Association. Um, I've got so many questions I'd like to ask you from, you know, what you think of the future of the planning profession. Um, I'm also going to squeeze in, I don't normally do three questions in one, but I am also really keen to, uh, I know you would have travelled across the country extensively uh, and everyone knows New York and San Francisco, but I do want some hot tips from you about some hidden gems of places that people could visit in America that really speak to good quality urbanism. But let, let's start with the planning profession, your, pla your passion for the planning profession. Well, in terms of uh, the American Planning Association, you know, it was a privilege that I was there during a time where planning was under attack and underappreciated. It was a rise of the Tea Party. Uh, it was the rise of people who thought uh, Agenda 21, that uh, the UN was going to take over American sovereignty. And so it was a very difficult time. Obama was just elected president. And I says, oh my goodness, now there's another black president. How will I be perceived? But I felt uh, that planning departments, it was after the recession, 
of 2008. So departments were shrinking, and it was a very difficult time, and I felt it was my role to really elevate and inspire the profession and remind them why they chose this profession in the first place. And so we got a lot of great things done. Great Places Initiative, uh, our organization was shrinking, it started to grow again. Uh, people started really understanding the value of planning. We came up with approaches of return on investment in planning to show how just using land use can increase the value that could create jobs, but not just bureaucrats that are just dominated by rules. So that was during that period. and. That message went globally. I started getting invited to, from the UK to Singapore to Malaysia to Australia, and the message started to carry. So it was a breath of fresh air. It was kind of a rebirth of the planning profession, and so I'm very proud to be part of that. And so, uh, and I hope to continue uh, pushing that as I speak. Um, in terms of just hidden gems, there was another question in between. So, Stephen, you're going to have to remind me of oh, the future of the profession. It's hard to say. My only hope is that planners remember they need to be generalist first before they become a specialist. I see far too many young professionals want to go to the specialty first without understanding what it is to be a general planner. Just like a doctor, you have to understand the anatomy of a body, then you can go into a specialty. But to skip to a specialty, you're losing the history, you're losing the other parts of the profession that make you a complete planner. You may not pursue real estate, but you need to understand it. You may not pursue resiliency, but you need to understand it. You may not pursue history of land use, but it's important to be a complete planner. So I do encourage young people to be generalist and then move into a specialty. I think our value is going to increase as the challenges in our environment are going to become more challenging. Uh, urbanization is still going to be an issue. Climate change is going to be an issue. Changing demographics is going to be an issue. Affordable housing is going to be an issue. Short term, what happens with downtowns and office post-COVID? That to me is a big question mark. I think it will resolve itself in about five years, but people think this is a turning point. But to me, I think it's a blip in the screen. I just want to make sure that planners focus on those emerging issues. They change over time. By 2050, it'll be a very different country with AI being inserted into how we think and plan. And so to me, that's one I want to keep an eye on. Uh, but in terms of hidden gems, uh, I <laughs> that is such a good question. I'll give you cities that were a surprise to me. Uh, Savannah is absolutely enchanting. I encourage people, if you want to see a planned city planned by Oglethorpe, it is a magical, enchanting place. And if I may say, it's one of only five cities in the world like Adelaide that is completely surrounded by parkland. So Adelaide has a energy and a spiritual connection but keep going but that's just a I was going to stop there after that one um, <laughs> I'm trying to think well Philadelphia is a place people need to discover um, they've gone through such a rebirth I'm so proud I worked there as a consultant in the 1990s and to see the evolution of a city that basically was written off a uh, Detroit is another city people have to go and visit this city is other than St. Louis lost more population since 1950 than any other city and to see this city as a comeback kid and its rebirth, they kept reaching out to me to be plan director. I said, if I was 10 years younger, I would take that job in a heartbeat. It has such an amazing soul. And people talk about southern cities and having the southern hospitality. 
Detroit has it as well. It's special. It's innovative. What they're doing to me is magical. So I encourage people, if they can, take a visit at Detroit. So those are some special places off the beaten path. Uh, but Savannah, there's no question, is absolutely enchanting. So that's what I'll leave uh, the listeners uh, to go to the U.S. and explore. There's three more cities I've got to visit now, you know. So, hey. Mitch, one of the things uh, you talked earlier about, um, you know, um, helping young people into the profession and giving them some some tips and, and, and your background in acting, I think you said, which you've sort of, your wife said, to bring these two things together. So you are a great storyteller of weaving the parts together and, and, and in a way that inspires. So the authenticity we've already talked about, but what other... What other tips would you give people in our profession, you know, in terms of the communication piece? Number one, you need to tell a story. Don't just give information. Every presentation should have a beginning, a middle, and an end. Most people don't know this, but I start my presentation with the last slide. What is the takeaway message I want to leave? How do I build that case? How do I tell that story? What evidence do I need to pull in to communicate what I'm trying to say? So my last slide to me is the most important because it gives me a focus and direction about what I want to share. I don't just want to give information. And embed stories, embed your life experiences into that presentation. And to me, that's what makes it more authentic and people want to listen. Don't be afraid to insert some of those stories that are relevant to the topic. So to me, that's that's so important. I think for a young person, you have to be patient and be willing to learn and be willing to make mistakes. I find so many young people are afraid to make a mistake. And I'm saying, you know something? I learn more from my mistakes than from my successes because, as I said earlier to another group, that when these challenges come, you have two choices, to be bitter or better. And so when these tough challenges come, this is your chance to grow and be better. And so I had a lot of opportunities in my career to be bitter. I chose to be better. And as a result, to me, not only did I benefit, for those communities I worked with and planned for also got to benefit. The last thing is I encourage one, this was a shocker, um, when you start building up your resume, uh, someone once evaluated my resume. I didn't get all these jobs as playing director, and I was frustrated. And he looked at my resume, and he said to me, he was a he was executive search consultant, and he said, are you dead? I'm like, excuse me? He says, are you dead? I'm saying, why are you saying that? He says, because your resume reads like an obituary. Wow. Don't tell me what you've done. This resume and your cover letter needs to communicate what you can do. That's why they're hiring you. So yes, you have to put in the things that you've done. And I started to reposition my resume to say, yes, I was plan director in Raleigh that helped improve the lives and created these businesses and great places and spaces and streets and, and have evidence. And basically saying, if you hire me, this is what I can do for you versus an obituary. So while you're young in your career, Clearly, you don't have the track record yet, but every job, don't just say you did a land use plan. You did a land use plan that did what? You created a transportation plan, but the transportation plan did what? Created more safer, more options for people with abilities and disabilities. You have to talk about not just doing the task, but make the connection about what that task accomplished. And that one plane ride actually flying to Savannah when I was depressed and the person said, I'll take a look at your resume. It changed my life and I hope that message can help others. You don't want to say Greg Vanny was a good old soul. Here are all the plans he did. Here were all the jobs. But to say, no, this person was able to change lives and gave spaces for seniors that were isolated. Now they have a thriving environment that they can grow and age gracefully. To me, that is a lesson I would share with young people. I, I did want to make the comment when you the presentation about um, the story 
stories and the and the data. It's, I always think it's about hearts and minds. You need to appeal to both, don't you? You need to have evidence to the rational thinkers, but you need to have the stories for the emotional bit that gets us all over the line in the end. You do, because part of my presentation, I know, I know in the history of the United States, deep, deep scars of slavery and racism. And I know uh, while the United States does not have a reconciliation of where we have public acknowledgement, Canada, New Zealand, Australia does, New United States does not. So my presentation is talking about some past harms and unjust practices. The playing profession, but America in general, racism was based, was baked into our system, and now we have to reconcile with that past, but there will be no federal acknowledgement or apology for what happened. And so I'm now coming to terms with what we as planners have to do. Uh, a lot of people said, well, I wasn't there during that time. You know, why should I do anything about it? Why should we pay? And I give them the analogy is that I know this site called Love Canal, where there was a toxic dump. This company buried 22,000 tons of toxic waste and 25 years later leached into this community called Love Canal. Now, the mayor 25 years later, it didn't happen under his watch. Why do I need to do anything about it? Because that toxicity is here today and could leach. The same thing with these communities that were harmed over generations. No, you didn't do it, but they're here now. And we need to do something about it. So to me, addressing past harm is critical. Otherwise, that toxicity will continue to spread. I was going to ask you about um, your African-American background and also how it relates to urbanism in America. I am aware that it's intergenerational. It has a lot to do with zoning and it has a lot to do with the funding and even goes to the banks in terms of the ability to borrow money, which has had significant intergenerational implications. So if you'd like to expand oh, on that, I could, I'd, I'd uh, be fascinated. Well, let me first say there was a turning point for me after the Black Lives Matter movement, that for the first time, and I wrote uh, this blog that from, I first wrote a letter to my staff, they encouraged me for it to go public. And I shared it publicly and people were pretty shocked. But for me, it was a scab uh, that had been really just scratched uh, and it changed me as a man of color, it changed me as a black man. I used to hang my identity at the door because I did not want make people to feel uncomfortable. And so for me, that was a turning point. Uh, and now I'm much more intentional about the pain and what happened and being a spokesman and saying it in a way that people will understand. I'm very grateful for being in my position, and um, but I think I will... I will point people where they can read that on, on Instagram, but it was personal, it was powerful, and for me it was a turning point, and I now feel more comfortable sharing that pain, sharing those experiences, and I never forget during Black Lives Matter, all my friends, my allies say, what can I do? And I said, that's the wrong question. The first question you should be asking is, how do I feel? Asking what do you do is to absolve your guilt or somehow help, but asking how do I feel is about me. And so I was able to, during the Parks Department, and I'll share this later today, articulate these reflection calls we have with our staff to really ask how they felt. And once we did that, we were able to come up with this amazing idea that brought so much joy and comfort for so many people. But it started with listening first and not asking, what can I do? And so to me, uh, that movement changed me, uh, more intentional, more aware, not afraid to talk about how I feel in a respectful way. Uh, and like I said, there were some presentations where people feel a bit uncomfortable, but as I stated earlier as a planner, I'm guardian of the future of both present and future generations. I have to stand up, and if I don't, uh, I don't know who will. It is, at least in the United States, something that's 
difficult to talk about. Uh, but to me, uh, I'm not worried about that. I feel it has to be. We cannot just push the issue to the side or ban books to avoid the conversation. It's a reality, and we have to have the courage to stand up and speak out. Mitch, I feel like we could talk all day, but uh, I am aware that you've got a little duty to attend to at the conference uh, that we're at at the moment uh, shortly. So I think we might uh, just start to wrap up now and say, from my perspective, Stephen, I'll give you a chance in a tick, but it's been wonderful uh, having that chat. Your generosity and authenticity and, and honesty shines through as it always does. And, uh, you know, uh, keep on keeping on and keep on doing great things for our profession. Yeah, and my my last comment is I often finish my speeches with the, the reference to being the change you want to see in the world uh, and you are a man that is the true epitome of that quote. I really admire that and thanks very much for your time. Thank you both. I appreciate the time with you.